Take a seat, pull out your Bibles and your notes. Um, if uh, that was new for you, yeah, we don't do that every week. But you know, it's just, we sing all these songs about wanting them to come and all this stuff. It'd be kind of silly if when we kind of collectively are agreeing that it seems like he's doing something, it'd be funny to sing the songs about it and then not do it. So you gotta kind of decide what you're gonna do here. <laughs> so, Amen. Um, open up to Revelation chapter two. Open up your notes. We are a note-taking church. If you're new here, really glad to have you here at church today. Um, if you're not new here, I'm really glad you're here too. It's great to see you. Um, Revelation chapter two, we're continuing our series, Letters from Jesus. Uh, that we are looking at the seven letters to the churches uh, in the book of Revelation. I hope you've been encouraged over the last handful of weeks as we've, as we've been doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot and uh, getting stretched and challenged and encouraged, so I hope you are too. Um, but if you're not, at least I, I am. I'm thankful for that. So we're going to read. Go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to start in uh, chapter 2, verse... 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, and for those wondering, is it Thyatira or Thyatira? Smart people say it both ways, so. The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. We're not okay. The Bible's not allowed to say this kind of stuff. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Lord, we do pray that... uh, You would give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to um, the church this morning. Would you open up your word to us and teach us and lead us and give us um, even just fresh capacity and ability to hear from you and understand you this morning. I'm asking personally, Lord, that you would give me grace and power by the Holy Spirit to preach your word and to do it with clarity and timeliness and effectiveness and uh, that all of us would come under the power of your mighty word. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Go ahead and take a seat. This letter's a doozy. So we're going to do our quick review. Um, One of my life mottos is uh, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. So I don't know if you read the same thing I just read, but there's a lot to do 
which means there's a lot to overdo this morning. So we're, we're, we got a lot to do today. I know I've been saying that every week, but it gets more true every week. So um, we're going to do our quick review of where we've been over the last few weeks. If you're new with us in this series, I'm going to try to do my best to catch you up to speed real fast. Um, but it'll be in your best interest if you want to understand what's going on this week. Go back, listen, get caught up, because all of this, none of this is happening in isolation. Uh, these letters are building on each other, and there's a lot going on, and we're trying to, we're trying to cover some of that together in, in this series. So um, what is the book of Revelation? Hopefully you've had, got this in your notes a couple of times. It's always worth to write it down again, and we need to review this so that we have uh, the correct lens to look at Revelation this morning. This comes from Revelation chapter 1. Our first week in the series makes it clear to us that Revelation, what we just read, it is about Jesus. That's what it is about. It may be about a lot of things, but the bottom line is this is about Jesus. This is to his servants. It is to the church in Thyatira. It's also apparently to the angel of the church, but at the end, it's also to all the churches. It is to the servants of God. It is to you and me and anyone who would follow Jesus. It is understood through the Old Testament, and so we're gonna be doing a lot of that today. Just a heads up. We're going to cover a lot of the Old Testament today um, as best as I can. It is from God. It is not just from John who had a weird vision. It's not just from somebody who had some crazy ideas. It is from God, so we're going to receive it as from him. It is for his glory. We're not reading this for us and for our own sake so we can have our good day at church. We are here for God. All of this is unto God. We want him to speak to us and reveal himself to us for his glory. And we are doing this because he is coming. He is coming. He is the king of kings, the beginning and the end. And so it just is right to build our lives on him. So as we move into this uh, seventh, or not the seventh letter, into this letter, uh, again, we're going to review kind of the, the flow of these letters are similar, not, not all the same, but generally we get an introduction of Jesus at the very beginning. And like we've been saying, these are always different, but never random. And I want you to lock that in to your mind whenever you think of the book of Revelation. There might be things in there that confuse you, that you don't totally understand, but just know whatever it is, whether you get it or not, it's not random. It's not random. It might be a little different. God might say it different than you would say it, but it's not random. God's always trying to speak. So we've got an introduction. We get an encouragement, praise the Lord. Then we get a rebuke, praise the Lord for that so that we can turn away from stuff that's no good and come towards him. We get a call to repent and then the letters end with a promise for those who are faithful to him. So that's what you can be looking forward to this morning. I want to read one more Bible verse for us as we get into this letter that's going to help us um, kind of set the framework for what we're going to be focusing on. There's so much here, but we're going to, we need to focus from one angle as we look at this letter this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All of these letters that, we're gonna, that we've been looking at, they all have a uh, spiritual element to them, a spiritual aspect to them. I mean, we've covered this already, but then again, you know, you see the letters are saying, Jesus says, write to the angel of the church. So Jesus is combining heaven and earth, which would make sense because in Genesis chapter one, God created just the earth you live on. No, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And his intention is that these two realms and, uh, that would, would be united. These are two realms that God both created. They're both parts of reality, even though we don't understand both parts. They're still both parts because we're trying to build our lives on what the Bible says, not just what we can see. So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. These aren't just locations. These are, these are realms that God created and inhabited with beings. The purpose being uniting together, partnering together, and partnering with him to glorify him. Because what's this all for? His glory. And that's how the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1. And Jesus is coming full circle here in Revelation chapter 2. And we get a little injection there in the middle in Ephesians chapter 6, making sure we're not getting off track here. There's a spiritual element to everything that is going on. And today, as we've read the letter today, if, you, if you've been with us, you probably heard a handful of things that sound fairly familiar. There's a few things of review here. For example, the encouragement that this church gets is, is pretty much the same encouragement that the other churches have gotten so far. That's good. Uh, we heard some uh, interesting things about food sacrifice, the idols, sexual morality, all this kind of stuff. That uh, same, same exact stuff was in we talked about last week. So there's a lot of things in this letter that are really similar to the other ones, especially the letter to Pergamum that we talked about last week. So what I want to do this morning is kind of even though there's a lot more we could develop there, we're gonna let that be what it's been. So if you have questions about food sacrifice, the idols, that kind of stuff, go back to last week. We're not gonna review that stuff. I wanna take the opportunity today to, uh, if, if, if we're on a pendulum here, uh, to, to swing towards the spiritual angle of what Jesus is communicating. Is that making sense? So it's gonna be uh, the stuff that our minds and brains don't normally go after. I really want the practical stuff. What do I, how do I, what do I physically, personally do this week to respond? Um, we've been dealing with a lot of that. And so again, since there's review, I, I just, I think there's space today to just swing a little bit and, and kind of not overemphasize, but focus more on what God's getting at spiritually here. So it's gonna be like that. So it's gonna feel like that. Yeah. FYI. So as we open up this letter, let's look at it with, those, uh, with, with that lens. To do that, we need to review. I, I hit on some of this, but um, it's going to take us, like this is going to land at the very end, so bear with me. Remember the cooking show last week? Same deal. We're pulling the lasagna out right at the very end. Stick with all the ingredients as we build it as we go. So I need to talk to you also assuming this morning that you were a part of our biblical formation course in the first quarter. I know a lot of you weren't, and that's okay, but I gotta start somewhere, you know what I'm saying? So we did a biblical formation course the first quarter of this year. In our first section, we talked about how do we have a biblically formed understanding of the universe? That was the first section, and the first part of that section, we talked about, like I said already, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he, the Bible sets for us this expectation right from the beginning that the Bible isn't about me, the Bible isn't about my life, and really, the Bible's not even really exactly like about being a Christian. It's, it's about God. It's about the heavens and the earth that he created. It's about what he's like. It's about what he does. It's about how he thinks, what he likes, what he doesn't like, how he reveals himself. And then we get to decide what to do with that. The Bible is about God, and then we get to decide what we do about that. Are we going to humbly submit to him, a.k.a. be a Christian, 
or are we gonna arrogantly stand against him? So the Bible is about, about God. So everything I've been listening to you, listening to you about what revelation is, I've been sneaking in. That's really what the Bible is. <laughs> the Bible is about Jesus. And I think that's helpful for us to constantly be reminded of because I can come to my Bible, I can come to church and all right, all right, Bible, talk to me about my life. And the Bible's like, no. God says, no, I'm gonna tell you about me. And then the best thing for you is to then respond to who I am. So God, the creator of everyone and everything, in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, these two realms that are inhabited and they're meant to partner together and partner with God to co-rule with him in the earth and in the heavens. And we get that right at the beginning, Genesis 1, chapter 1. But then we also then see things go sideways really fast in Genesis chapter 3. I told you last week, Genesis chapter 1 through 12 is kind of your introduction to the Bible. It's telling you what the big story is and sets kind of the narrative out there. And so we're going to develop that a little bit further. Genesis 3, what do we have? We have this spiritual being, this snake figure coming to people. They're not surprised. Eve isn't surprised when the snake talks to her. So apparently this wasn't completely out of the norm because in Eden, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. But what happens, instead of uniting together to co-labor with God for his glory and his kingdom, we have human beings and spiritual beings rebelling together, partnering together in rebellion against God and against his kingdom for their own sake, for their own kingdom. So Genesis 1 starts off strong. By Genesis 3, we're not looking so hot. Chapters 4, 5, 6, the, the, here we go. As we go, Genesis 6, we get some of the weirdest verses in the Bible talking about, again, how these spiritual beings and human beings partnering together in rebellion against God and instead of carrying his name throughout the earth for his kingdom, by Genesis chapter 10 and 11, we get to the Tower of Babel, which is a scenario where they're talking about building. It's not just let's talk. Let's, I always thought, it, I always told in Bible school or uh, Sunday school, it's like, we're going to build a building so tall, like the Burj Khalifa's got nothing on this. We're going to get all the way up to heaven. Um, that's not the point. The point is that we're saying we're going to build a temple that touches heaven. And what do they say? We're going to make our name great. What's happening at Babel is we're going to raise up our own kingdom in continued partnership with our own desires, we're going to partner instead of with spiritual beings for God's name. We're all going to rebel against him and build our name and watch what we can create. Watch the world we can make on our own. Are we tracking? Genesis 12, God steps, well, Genesis 11, God says, I'm not going to have that. You are not going to do all of this. I didn't make any of you for that. So what does he do? He shakes the nations, confuses the whole thing, splits everybody up. And what is happening there is that God is disinheriting the nations and saying, okay, people, you want to live by your own desires? We've tried this. We had, we had Eden, we've had the flood, we've had opportunity after opportunity. I keep putting you in ideal scenarios where you can follow me and you have shown that all, as Genesis 6 says, everything in the human heart is evil all the time. And so if you want to follow your own way, I will let you do that. And if you would rather be ruled by not me, if you'd rather unite with 
rebellious spiritual beings and all that stuff, if you want to do your own thing in your own heart and follow your own gods, you can do your own way. But then Genesis 12. What does he do? God finds a man named Abraham and pulls him out of rebellious humanity and says, out of you, I'm going to create a family so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What is the blessing of God? That we would know him. It's not so everybody's going to be rich and happy and healthy. He says, everybody has turned their back on me and I will let them do that, but only sort of. <laughs> Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to, I am going to raise up a people who will be a, like a city on a hill, you could say, that will call the nations back to me. If everybody wants to do their own thing, they can go do that, but I'm going to raise up a people who will show what it is to be mine like I intended, who will carry my name, who will carry my blessing, because when people see it, they will want it and they will repent and they will come back to me. That's why God raises up Abraham. It was never supposed to be just one nation exclusive from everybody else, but you got to raise up one out of the mess so that everybody knows what we're going for. God is always after the nations. He is always after all of humanity. He is always after all people. And that's not, a, that's not the New Testament God. Right from the beginning, we're getting this story. This is what the preface, the introduction to the Bible is telling us. Genesis 1 through 12. So that's the trajectory. That's basically setting the stage for what the whole biblical story is. God is trying to raise up people out of rebellious humanity who will carry his name so that all the earth has a representation of him, because why were we created? To bear his image. He's not gonna, God's not gonna ditch his intention. The point all along is that he would raise up a people who would bear his image, and that in rebellious humanity, seeing the image of God in humanity would say, let's do that. Let's come back to him. That's the trajectory of the story of God. So, Everything that you read in the Bible very much happens on earth, right? No, no, no aliens and uh, other planets, we good? It very much happens on earth in the earthly realm, addressing the earthly realm, but it equally significantly has a spiritual side to it. This whole spiritual part that God lays out very clearly from the beginning is also happening just as much as the earthly part is happening. The plagues in Egypt, natural and supernatural. The conquest of Canaan happens on the earth. It, 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 it physically happens and there's an incredible spiritual side to it. Leviticus and the law, there's a whole spiritual side to this. All the genealogies that are really boring to read, they're, they're saying something. First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, all those kings and stories and like, when do we skip all this stuff? It all has a spiritual side to it. God's telling us something in all of it. The major, the minor prophets, all the weird stuff, all the scary stuff, all the, it, it all is there for a reason. It might be different to you, but it is not random. The cross and the resurrection, there is stuff happening in the cross and the resurrection that we cannot see. 
And it's equally as important as all that we can see in the cross and the resurrection. All these things are telling us significant things that go far beyond what we could see and what we can imagine in our little earthly realm that we understand. Are we all weirded out, slightly uncomfortable, and here we go. Okay, so now that we're there, now that we're worked up, confused, thinking harder than you planned on thinking at 11 a.m. this morning, now we can actually get into this letter. So let's look at the introduction. That was all lens so that we can look at this and read. These are the glasses we're putting on. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. What is Jesus setting the tone for here as we open up this letter? His introduction here refers very obviously back to Revelation chapter one. We've covered that, but Revelation chapter one is a reference back to uh, the book of Daniel in chapter 10. We're not gonna dive through this, but there's a vision that Daniel has where there's one like a son of man appears to him. Does that sound familiar to any Revelation chapter one readers? One like a son of man appears to him. His face is like lightning. His eyes are kind of like fire and his feet and his legs are like burnished bronze. I think that's really cool. We're all seeing the same Jesus here. There's not multiples. He looks the same. Okay, so Jesus shows up to him, and, and one of the things that happens very, very clearly in this visitation to Daniel is that Jesus speaks to him about fighting against the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And we read that, and we just chalk that up to the Old Testament, right? But very obviously... Jesus is talking about fighting against spiritual forces that are over, apparently, these places. And, and Jesus is saying there is a battle happening. And, and in the vision he's talking about, there's basically, there is so much going on, Daniel, you keep praying. You keep praying, because there's a lot happening. So there are real spirits over real places with real ability to do real things that cause real problems and need to really be conquered. Jesus is hitting on this in, in his introduction. He's very clearly setting a very spiritual tone to this letter as he opens it by introducing himself. In saying, I am the son of God, my eyes are like flames of fire, my feet are like burnished bronze, it makes it clear that there is a spiritual challenge against his, against his lordship. He's saying, I'm the son of God. Something is coming up and is challenging his lordship and challenging his authority, challenging his judgment. This isn't a fight, Jesus is saying, just against flesh and blood. Jesus here in this letter to Thyatira is here to fight against spirits and principalities that come against him and his kingdom and of course come against his church. We're gonna get into this in just a second. He clearly, he mentions Jezebel. She sounds bad. But also, Thyatira, we should know, was, was one of the pagan worship centers of the Roman Empire, and it was a center for the imperial cult that the current emperor Domitian had set up. So everybody was pretty much required to make these annual sacrifices to the Roman emperor and worship him as God. And if they didn't, they would experience lots of persecution, especially economic persecution. It would be really hard to get a job or have any work. So this is the area that these believers are working in. Also, this city was a, basically a seat for uh, the worship of two of the biggest gods of the time that were uh, both believed to be the, the sons of Zeus. And God says, no, Jesus says, no, I'm the son of God. And I have this emperor that's trying to say he's the judge over everything. 
No, no, no. I have the eyes like flames of fire. I'm the pure one. I stand in judgment. It's a little different, but it's not random. There are major battles in the spiritual realm at Thyatira, and Jesus is starting off by reminding his church that he alone is the son of the most high God, and he alone is the ruler and the judge of both the seen and the unseen. We're gonna skip the encouragement because it's basically the same as all the other ones, so be encouraged. We're gonna jump to verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. How are your pens working this morning? Okay, so we've explained the overall situation in the city of Thyatira, and in this rebuke, we are finding out that the church, specifically the church of Thyatira, is tolerating tolerating people who are teaching things that distract and manipulate people away from Jesus and away from his word. He mentions this woman, Jezebel, and this is a spiritual reference because Jezebel was one of the queens of Israel, but that was like 900 years before this. So though Jesus may have been specifically referring potentially to certain individuals and all that at the time, he didn't use their specific names. He uses this name Jezebel, which isn't about like, oh, there wasn't probably a woman named Jezebel in the church. He's talking about what's going on spiritually here. And if you've heard this before, if you're one of those church people that heard about Jezebel, this isn't just about like dressing immodestly or something, okay? So we're gonna, we're gonna actually dive into this and there's, there's more going on. I'm just saying. Okay, so Jesus is saying very clearly from his introduction and by specifically using this name Jezebel instead of the list of who are the wrong people in church, he's making very clear, I'm talking about the spiritual fight right now. I'm talking about the spiritual fight right now. I've got something to say to you about the spiritual fight. So Jezebel, you ready for more background? You're already here, so I might as well teach you the Bible. You paid all that money to get in today. I'm not gonna waste it. I'm assuming you came here ready for something. Okay, so Jezebel is a queen of Israel in the Old Testament, and her story covers a massive spread of the Old Testament. She's introduced to us in 1 Kings chapter 16, and she doesn't die until 2 Kings chapter 10. Very, very few people in all of the Bible get that much stage time. Not only that, She's referenced throughout other spots of the Old Testament, and now Jesus is bringing her up again in Revelation. So God's making a point. He's making a point about Jezebel, but the main point that he is making isn't about her. There's something about this spirit that she carries or represents. We've already gone through Genesis chapter one, verse 12, showing us God's intention to raise up a people to lead the nations back to him. By the time we get in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16, where we meet Jezebel, Israel is a nation, and these books of the Bible are, are cycling through the stories of kings that would rule in Israel. Obviously, as king of Israel, your main role is let's lead people in the things of God. We are the people of God after all, right? So that's kind of their job number one, and most of them are terrible at it. And 
Jezebel is not a Jew. She is, she is a, a Phoenician woman, and she becomes queen by marrying one of these terrible kings. Doing some family tree work here. So Ahab is a king of Israel. He's awful, and it's, what he does is he marries this woman, Jezebel, and brings her in to help him rule the kingdom. 1 Kings 16, 31 says this about Ahab. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which was really bad, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab is awful. And it's not because he's a jerk. He's not just a mean guy. But specifically because he actively and broadly expanded idolatry among the people of God. And the main way he did it was by marrying this woman, Jezebel. Okay. How we doing? We're going we're gonna to set that there for just a second, and we're going we're gonna to come back. Remember, lasagna, layers. So the main theme of the Old Testament, as God is raising up people, don't go after idols. As you read your Old Testament, that's what God is shouting from the megaphone. Just don't. We good? Somebody asks you, what's the Old Testament about? Don't go after idols. Don't do it. God is trying to raise up a holy people. Holy people doesn't mean they never make mistakes. Holy people means they are set apart. They are not a part of this world and the systems of this world. They are, they are set apart from the idols and from the gods of this world. And throughout the whole Bible, as God describes what he wants with his people, God uses language of the union he wants with his people that relates to marriage. He, he, all through the Old Testament, he, he's calling to his people, marry me, be married to me. I am your husband. You are my wife. The church is the bride of Christ. Come away with me. Leave everything else behind. Be faithful to me. But the story of humanity is that we all go after idols. And when we do, more than anything else, Throughout the scripture, God likens our rebellion against him. He likens it to sexual immorality. He relates our spiritually running after idols to physically committing sexual immorality. Again, as you read the Old Testament, these are the verses that make you really uncomfortable in church. He's, he's calling to his people. You have, you have whored after other gods. You lay yourself on sheets for the nations. You, you, you soil your garments with other lovers. Okay, back to Jezebel. As I said, she was a Phoenician woman and as would follow that custom, in marrying her, Ahab was accepting the custom, which would have been, okay, if you're the queen, you're now basically like the lead priestess of the nation. And that's a problem because she doesn't lead them to God, right? So Jezebel comes in 
as essentially the lead priestess after all these other gods for all these nations. So when she comes in, what she is and what she signifies and what she leads is the divorce of the people of God from him and a marriage to other gods. Baal is mentioned. He was basically the surrounding nation's most high God. Everybody else served Baal, the Jews served Yahweh. That's the competition going on. So she brings in a new most high God. And Asherah was essentially his wife. And so she comes in, Jezebel, and mixes all this stuff up. God was trying to make it easy. The Lord your God is one. And now we're throwing other things in here. And so all these things get mixed up to the point where Jews at this time under her leadership were essentially now, it's like, well, okay, we got Baal, but let's keep Yahweh too so Asherah can kind of be both of their wives. And so now they've married God to all this other stuff. When you can mix and match your gods, why can't you create new ones? Why not, right? In other words, why can't, if you can mix and match your gods, why can't your gods have children? Maybe not like literally, but are you getting what I'm saying? You start mixing all this stuff and that, that begins to multiply. It begins to develop new things. That gives life to whole other new things. This is how messed up things are getting. God is trying to lead the nations back to him and this is what his people are doing with his name. Jezebel has God's prophets massacred. She led the nation into sexual morality as a form of worship instead of living sexual purity as a form of worship and lots of other horrible abominations against God. First Kings 21, 25 says, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Verses 21 in Revelation chapter two through 23. I gave her time to repent. Yeah, we read verse 20. Okay. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. Okay. Jesus is talking about spiritual stuff. That's what we spent a lot of time doing, right? Let's not, let's not take those glasses off now. We've gotten this far. This original audience of Revelation chapter two would have been intimately familiar with this whole Jezebel story, situation, all the dynamics, the specifics. So when Jesus brings up Jezebel, they're not looking for a woman named Jezebel. They're looking for spirits that are doing what Jezebel led the people in. So when Jesus now begins to say, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. We've got to think spiritually here, but it also relates, okay, what happened to Jezebel? Jesus says, here, I'm going to throw her onto a sickbed. The way Jezebel died was she got thrown out a window by her servants. I mean, we'll leave that there. Jesus says, those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. One of the major stories that happens under Jezebel's leadership is God's prophet Elijah has this showdown with the prophets of Baal on a place called Mount Carmel. 
We don't have time, obviously, to get into all of it, but God shows up, does amazing things, and has all these hundreds of prophets of Baal killed that day. So they're thinking, oh, they were, they were committing adultery with Jezebel this, uh, spiritually. You tracking with me? So her servants get thrown into great tribulation, one could say. So Jesus has, Jesus has shown his rule and reign over Baal at Mount Carmel, and he's bringing that back up again here. And then he says, and I will strike her children dead. Before Jezebel died, she and Ahab do what married people do. They had children. And much of the, the second half of the biblical story of Jezebel and what's going on with her and the fallout from her is about God raising up new kings and prophets whose first order of business is essentially hunting down her and her children who are still manipulating the people of God and killing them and taking back the throne for purity. So this is, there, this is all ringing bells in the Jezebel story. Are you tracking with me? I know it doesn't make sense yet, but are you seeing how it, the, there's, there's parallels here? So how do we understand the book of Revelation? Through the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying is that the same stuff spiritually that was happening under Jezebel is happening spiritually at the church in Thyatira. They are tolerating people who are leading everyone in divided loyalty. The marriage between Ahab and Jezebel isn't just a marriage between two people. It was the people of God divorcing themselves from faithfulness to him and running away with other gods while still in his house. When we worship, we marry our hearts to what we worship. God uses this language, marry me. I'm your husband, you are my wife. When we worship, we marry our hearts to what we worship. What does the New Testament say? Marriage is a mystery of Christ and his church. Worship is supposed to be sacred. It's supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be exclusive and pure and devoted. That's what worship is supposed to be. And this is why sex matters so much. Because sex is a mysterious signpost to these spiritual truths and realities. Like sex, your worship is supposed to be exclusive. And like humans, we're commissioned to be fruitful and multiply naturally through sex in its proper context. When the bride of Christ is married to him and him alone, the church is called to be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples of all nations. The nations. Your physical activity creates children, right? New life comes from this physical union. Your spiritual activity is fertile as well. Your worship births things. Your, worship, your worldview is birthed from what you worship. Your decisions are birthed from what you worship. Your opinions are birthed from what you worship. Your beliefs, your behavior are birthed from what you worship. Both marriage and adultery bring children in the natural. And in the sense we have been discussing so far, marriage and adultery bring children in the spiritual realm as well. That is reality. That's how God sees it. And in light of the message of the Bible, 
What happens in 1 Kings 16 is that God's people are whoring after other gods while still under his roof and creating in that sense. Well, that's what happens in 1 Kings chapter 16. So what's happening at Thyatira is this is happening spiritually. They're divorcing God while still under his roof, still carrying his name. And they're creating in that sense spiritually illegitimate children, families, and nations. In other words, ideas, behaviors, practices, beliefs, worldviews, customs, activities, they are representing something other than his name. Jesus alone is the son of God. His burning eyes see everything. And he is making it very clear, he is coming as judge. And in saying... I will throw her on a sickbed. I will throw those who commit adultery her in great tribulation unless they repent. I will strike her children dead. What he's saying is I am coming to judge and I will systematically destroy every spirit, doctrine, or idea that raises itself up in rebellion against me just like I systematically sought out and destroyed Jezebel, those who committed adultery with her, and those children of her fornication. Verse 23, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. Why? Why all this? It's uncomfortable, it's confusing, it's all a little awkward. It's tough to explain why. Because Jesus loves his church enough to marry her and he loves the world enough to give himself for it. Because when we divorce him, we are throwing away everything he purchased. We are his plan A. People need Jesus. People need a people raised up out of rebellious humanity to be a city on a hill, to be a lamp set high on a table, to be ambassadors of a greater kingdom, to be messengers of grace. People need you. People need us. That's why Jesus cares so much because he's died for all these people who are looking at us in our fornication and thinking that's God. What's different between them and us? When we leave him, we look like everybody else, but we are not here to look like everybody else. People need to see a representation of him when they see us. The nations need a glimpse of him when they see us. They need a taste of him when they get around us. You are supposed to look different. You are supposed to act different. You are supposed to feel different. You are supposed to talk different. You are supposed to be different because you are different. You are born again, filled with the spirit of God, adopted as a child in his kingdom. You carry eternal life. You are, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And he is just and he is loving and therefore he cannot and will not leave injustice against his body or seduction of his bride unpunished. What good husband would let this happen? There's all this stuff trying to mess with my wife. And if you run away with him, you're with him. But come back to me. Come back to me. 
and I will fight for you. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who don't hold to his, this teaching, who haven't learned what some call the deep things of Satan, you know, all the really smart new stuff everybody's got to say. To you, I say, I don't lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast. Only hold fast. Only hold fast to me until I have come. Hold fast to Jesus. What do you do with all of this? <laughs> this is a lot. We've talked about a lot. And it can sure feel like a whole big heavy burden to figure out, right? Like now I got to figure out spiritual beings and where are they? And like, where are all the demons under here? <laughs> Jesus is focusing us. We got it. This is why we got to stick to the end. Jesus is saying, I know I've talked about it a lot, but, but if you haven't gone down that road, I'm not putting all that on you. I just need one thing from you. Keep your ring on. Just stay faithful to me. Hold fast to me until I come. Don't worry about all that. See, the, you've probably heard this before, but the, the, the best way to pick up on a counterfeit is to only stare at the real thing. Only ever touch the real thing. Only ever listen to the real thing. Well, how do I know if it's the devil's voice? Just spend all your time listening to God's voice. And when something else sounds funky, you'll notice it really fast. Well, how do I know if that was God or not? Spend more time looking at him. Get your eyes used to what he looks like. Used to what it looks like when he moves. Used to what it looks like when somebody steps out in faith and that's how you're gonna be able to start recognizing things that aren't. Hold fast to him. You have everything you need to hold fast to Jesus. Listen to me. You may not have all the understanding of everything I've said. I don't either. It's not the point though. What's all this about? Jesus. You have everything you need to hold fast to him. You have the church. You have your faith. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a Bible. And you've got your own ability to make your own personal decisions. I'm not gonna put any other burden on you. That's not what this morning is about. You don't need to carry the burden of all this stuff. What you need to do, hold fast to Jesus. Verse 26, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to the one who doesn't go after idols, to the one who doesn't get distracted by all the false doctrines and spiritual adulteries. What are the works I gotta do? Stay faithful to Jesus. To the one who holds fast my name, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the Father. It sounds a lot like all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore now go and make disciples of all nations and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, church, what the Spirit says to the churches. How does he close? What's, what's the promise? I need a promise after all this. <laughs> Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He is the son of the most high God with eyes like flaming fire and feet like burnished bronze. He is pure. He is judge. He is trustworthy. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. What is the promise? The promise is Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns over every evil, rebellious, spiritual being that has and does wreak havoc on humanity. There may be other stars in the heavens, but he alone is the bright and morning star. And in his kingdom, 
he will share his rule and reign with us. Those who conquer the seduction of the world and stay faithful to Jesus will inherit the nations with him in the end. Yes, faithfulness, it is hard now. But in the end, not only will we sit at his table like we read about last week, but we will actually have authority in his kingdom. Suffering is a real cost in this life now, but it will be more than repaid in the end. I can't explain it all to you, all this sharing authority business, but I'm not the king, so it's not about what I think about it. He says that's how it's gonna go. So I can't explain it all to you, and I'm sure you've got questions like I do, but for now, there is one question that matters most in all of this. And it's very simple. Are we ready for something simple after all this? Do you love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? That's what we need to think about as we wrap up this letter this morning. What do I do with all of this? Okay, Lord, do I love you with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul, and all with all my strength? If you're like me, my answer to that question is, honestly, I'm not so sure. I think I'm trying. Anybody? <laughs> I'm, I think I'm trying to love him with everything I got, but probably not. Well, shoot, now what do I do? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The good news is, he's made it all simple. What do we do right now? We can't go back into the past. We don't know what the future will hold, but what you and I can do right here, right now, as long as we have today, we can just hold fast to him. Let's stand as we finish our time this morning. We're gonna have our prayer team come on up and as we worship, I wanna just pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us and that we would come to him right now, every single one of us with an open heart with this simple question, God, do I love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? And if not, would you lead me in my next step forward? If you need prayer for anything in your life, you need a miracle, you need to respond to anything today or anything otherwise, you are at church and you are welcome to get prayed for. Jesus, we do love you. And we thank you that you are here. We thank you for your word. Even as we take a few extra minutes here at church, you're worth it. And the answer to this question is worth it. And having our next step forward and clarity on how to hold fast to you, it's worth it. So come Holy Spirit and lead us into holding fast to you. In Jesus' name.